You are listening to Mindful in America. I'm your host, Lyra Stone, and I am on the road again after I'm on my, I think, eighth day. You know, by this point, I'm not even sure what day it is. It's all starting to run together, but I believe I'm on my eighth day of travel, and I just got finished up with Chicago. It was a real bummer saying goodbye, but alas, you know, I must press on and continue this journey. Um, I'm on my way to Springfield, <laughs> Springfield, and then uh, Missouri, and then I'll be staying the night in uh, St. Louis, and I'm looking forward to it. I've only visited St. Louis a little bit, and um, what I saw of it was it seemed like a really awesome, awesome city full of really neat people. I, I haven't gone up on the arch, and I probably will try this time. I have a slight fear of, of elevators, not so much heights, elevators. It's it's just this, I don't know what it is. It's possibly because, um, I don't know, when I dream, I dream about elevators a lot and oftentimes I fall in them. So maybe it's just, you know, this weird psychological thing of falling elevators in my dreams. I'm not sure, you know, um, but regardless, I, I may go up on that arch, I may not. I'm sure that there are plenty of things to do regardless. So I'll be doing St. Louis in um, a little while and updating you on what that city's like. But before that, I definitely should finish up my thoughts and feelings on Chicago, which really is truly a phenomenal city. Anybody who hasn't gone really ought to go and they should definitely not just stick to the kind of tourism section. I think they call it the bean. I think it's what the locals say. Don't stick to the bean don't stick to just the Art Institute and Millennium Park and places like that. You know, really go exploring, you know, with, with a caveat, like, you know, because there are some sketchy sections, of course. Um, like, Wicker Park was wonderful. I know that some people give it, you know, like, kind of poo-poo on it because it's got, like, hipsters or whatever in it. And I, I kind of shrug to that and say, well, you know... In all honesty, like, yes, there are some definite negative traits to hipsters, but I kind of feel like by this point, most of that hipsterdom nonsense is, it seems to be pretty, like, I don't know, weeded out, so to speak. Um, the, the priggish persons that started a lot of that seem to have finally faded away into, I don't know, middle brow, middle class, middle management America. I don't know where they went to, frankly, I don't care. Um, the people that seem left now are really friendly, nice, intelligent, socially minded. Um, yeah, when I think of like hipsters, at least maybe because I'm an elder millennial, I think of mostly very people who are very apathetic, don't really care much about their communities and their culture and are kind of just like dilettantes in the subculture. And so I, um, anyway, I, I did not at all get that impression of Wicker Park. Wicker Park there's just like it's a thriving community full of hardworking individuals a lot of mothers in hip clothes pushing strollers which I thought was really neat kind of seeing that um yeah the the park itself Wicker Park in Wicker Park is is just lovely it has a beautiful fountain and you know some basketball courts and you kind of just get the impression of it you know just simply being a neighborhood and a really kind of comfortable safe nice neighborhood you know with some really good food and some really good music and some really good beer, et cetera, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely would say Wicker Park's great. I did go up to Uptown as well and explored that a bit. Uptown has great people too. It, it had like a, uh, where I was at, it had like a Chinese, Taiwanese, um, kind of section to it. And I ended up having some delicious Chinese food while there. 
that was just like authentic and just, oh my God, just so, so delicious. And, um, you know, so that, that is one thing I noticed in Chicago. It definitely seems to be, it, because it's big enough, it's definitely kind of segmented or it has got like, you know, um, national or excuse me, um, global influences. Like a lot of people talk about the Ukrainian village and really liking that area. And I agree that area is like neat. And, um, you know, as you start to, I think, explore, because it took me a while as I was exploring it. First, you know, I, I kept it safe. I got my Metro card. I went on the blue line, you know, I checked the map like a three dozen times to make sure I wouldn't miss my stop. And then, you know, I just kind of hit the places along the blue line, you know, and, and ended up at the, I guess you call it beamed at the art Institute, etc. But when I finally did muster up the courage to try the red line, um, you know, and go down to uptown, <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't as scary as I thought. And in fact, it made me start to realize how, in some ways small Chicago is and that well it's just once you start to figure out the map and figure out the places you just sort of realize it's not as intimidating as you might think you know and the people there they they, they really are in love with their city and a lot of, like most of them seem to be locals and have spent most of their lives there and are generationally like Chicagoans which is nice you know if you go to Nashville like for example nobody is nobody's from Nashville you go to Asheville nobody's from Asheville it's they're they've all just been kind of invaded which is good and bad depending on who you're talking to I mean I I feel a little heartbroken over you know kind of the pre-existing communities sort of being uh, pushed away and, and kind of trampled in lieu of all these kind of opportunists looking to kind of have this experience and not anyway I don't want to go into that tangent instead I'm going to stick to Chicago loved Chicago um, like I went to a really nice place uh, called um, actually Uptown Lounge that was nice I met a wonderful man there and um, you know it I, I was, this is the second time I was inappropriately hit on, which, you know, can be sometimes a little frustrating um, because, you know, it, it, it kind of goes back to some victim blaney things where people are like, well, you should have just told the guy to fuck off. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could have just told the guy to fuck off. But, you know, I eventually got away from him in a way that didn't lead to anger or, you know, potential problems. Um, it was a whatever moment, you know, I, you deal with that, these situations arise and, um, I do find it funny how people just seem to, you know, not take very seriously when you're like, man, that was a very uncomfortable and like, so I should have just told him fuck off. I'm like, okay, all right, sure. Yeah. Gosh, why did it, I never think of it in my, you know, 30 something years of life. Gosh, that never crossed my mind. I could just be an asshole. <laughs> um, and there are lots of reasons people aren't, mainly that I don't like being an asshole, even if the person is being rude. And I can find a way to get away from them without, you know, having to kind of lower my vibrations, you know. But anyway, I did go to Frida Kahlo's art exhibit, which was in the suburbs. That's what I did um, two days ago. It was absolutely breathtaking, as you can imagine. I'd never seen Frida Kahlo's work in person and, you know, there's just something to be said about when you are physically present, physically there to look at just what she created. And what she created was just um, phenomenal. You know, I, on a philosophical and spiritual level, I think that Frida Kahlo has succeeded in doing something that very few people have 
ever succeed in doing. And that is, I truly believe she transferred pieces, like big, like profound pieces of her soul into her art. Like when you see her art, it's just like you, you see her, you feel her. And it, you know, sometimes people I think can project their own impressions onto the artist and be like, well, I think this is what the artist is trying to say, or she's trying to feel or whatever. And you can't with her. She's just so very much like, no, this is me. This is my pain. This is my joy. And this is not, um, something that can be, you know, warped into what you want it to be. And I, I obviously I loved her. I ended up kind of profoundly changed after leaving that exhibit. Um, and, uh, you know, and after I went to Taqueria and had some tor- a torta and uh, some horchata, I was like, you know, I, for whatever reason, I'm in some Mexican, I'm, I'm in a Mexican mood. So uh, <laughs> I ended up doing that as well. Going and seeing um, her exhibit was definitely, I think, a highlight of my trip to Chicago. And that's what needs to be said about Chicago in general. You know, it just has an amazing visual art scene. And, um, you know, interestingly, while I was there, I did not go and see any musicians. But to be fair, with COVID being what it is, um, while places are starting to, like, open again, like, movement starting to happen, people did talk about a lot of businesses shutting down. And I did see that walking around, like, businesses just shuttered up and, and just abandoned after COVID. So it definitely claimed a lot of small businesses in Chicago and that's really sad to see but I don't think the musicians have come back yet I when I was waiting for the red line there was a guy who was kind of performing some really good music kind of in the you know the waiting station area and uh, he, he was entertaining but I, ha- I wasn't able to experience Chicago music not not yet at least but um, I did experience Chicago beer and Chicago neighborhood bars and um, I got to travel around and kind of get a feel for the affordability of the place. And, you know, surprisingly, (laughs) I thought that Wicker Park was going to be, like, just insane as far as the cost of living there was concerned. And, I mean, and it's certainly not cheap. And, you know, it's, it's going to be tiny wherever you live, naturally. But it wasn't as, from what I saw, and I didn't really dig too deep, but what I saw, it wasn't, like egregious. Um, I was like looking at this one place, like I say, at a posting for like a three bedroom, one bathroom, like a 1500 square feet foot apartment in the bottom floor area. And I mean, this was like right on the drag of, um, division, like right there next to all the things. Um, and it was, it was listed. I think there was like 24, 2,500, about 2,500 a month. And, you know, that, that, that can definitely feel like a lot. Um, it's, but if, you, if you're splitting it with three people, et cetera and so forth, I mean, it's not like as terrible as I thought it would be, even though that's still a lot. I just was like, hmm, it's, it's interesting to know. Um, and I noted it because, you know, living in Chicago, I'm, you know, I'm sure would be a really thrilling thing to do and people I always think it's a good sign that people have been living there for like you know 30 40 years have was born and raised there like that's a sign that it's doing something right like you know people talk about crime in fact well my mom my mom like texted me while I was at a really awesome kind of divey neighborhood bar called um well it's called two names it's called J&M um, and it's also called the sneaky squirrel because there's just no sign for it. You just kind of have to know about it to uh, get there. 
So, but anyway, um, I was there and my mom was like, you know, there's, they're just like, just telling me all about the shootings in Chicago and how I needed to just hurry up and get back home to her. You know, my mom loves me and it, it was very touching to have her do that for me. And, um, I just, yeah, I, I absolutely, um, appreciated it, but I've felt just in my brief period in Chicago, yeah, like it feels pretty safe and people obviously seem to be pretty happy here or there, I should say, since I'm driving away from it now. And, um, you know, I went to a used bookstore that was just absolutely phenomenal, uh, called Myopic. And I loved that. And, you know, as I kind of dug a little deeper into Wicker Park and sort of, like, just kept walking around and sort of, like, popping into probably some of the other neighborhoods, like, nearby it. Um, you know, I just like a lot of neat, like, vintage stores and furniture stores. And it had a very, like, in many ways, I felt unpretentious quality to it. You know, everybody just dressed really casually. And, you know, nobody, like drink, you know, really high-end things. They were just like, you know, drinking old style or Lagunitas IPAs, you know, and it just, it, it, the food was what kind of blew me away. I had an amazing Italian food experience. I, what is it called? Tortellos, I want to say, you know, it has a very like posh, fancy in some ways look on the outside. Um, and then you go in and there's a woman who kind of stands by the window and she, you know, you can watch her roll out the pasta, you know, cut the pasta and prepare the pasta. And then you go inside and you see all the fresh pasta lined up and, you know, and the menu and, and like they offer some house reds and house whites. And the wine itself um, is actually quite delicious, uh, especially for a house blend. Because I was like, it, it was like $9 for a, like a, a, a few ounces of a house red and I was like I don't know like that seems a bit much but drinking the wine I was like oh this is actually a pretty good vintage like compared to like what you often drink in America um this is pretty good I, I'm pretty impressed and the pasta itself was just a phenomenal and I wish I could remember what I ordered because <laughs> you know it's long and I don't know Italian very well and you know everything's da 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 and I I just do not know how to pronounce these words but um you know, it was, uh, it, it had ricotta in it, and there, and it had, um, you know, some balsamic vinaigrette drizzle with some olive oil drizzle, some crushed sea salt, and um, some pine nuts on top, and some parmigiano, and, you know, because, like, Italian food, in some ways, is, is very, it can be very simple, but it's really, it's the, it's the freshness of the ingredients and the way that they kind of merge on the plate, and you know, it's worth every penny to do it, and it was a really delicious place. I absolutely was was floored by how delicious it was, and, um, you know, after I ate there, you know, it was just the right amount of food, too. Like, you know, in the South, like, or where I live, I should say, and like lots of regions, I think they really put quantity over quality in their minds. They're just like, if I'm going to spend, you know, $14 or, you know, $30 or whatever on a meal... Um, it had better have large portions. And of course I understand that mindset, but um, I, I, my parents have that mindset. But, you know, really, I don't need to be completely stuffed to the point that I am now lethargic for the next six hours and probably just go home and take a nap. Um, and, and food that doesn't really satisfy me on an enrichment soul level, that kind of like, yeah, it was meatloaf, or yeah, I, like, you know, I shoveled it in my gullet, but... You know, none of the flavors like really popped and 
you know, it just kind of all blended together. And you know, you can tell the difference, you know, when you do have that delicious meal that, you know, yeah, portions are smaller because they need to be smaller. Like when you finish that meal, you know, each taste was refreshing and decadent. And when you're done, you know, you really have, you, at least for me, just hit that perfect, like, euphoria where you're, you're satisfied, but you're not, like, achingly full. And you can just kind of sit and just digest and just really kind of marinate in a very good experience. And, you know, it, like, eating food on that more elevated state, I realize I am sounding a touch bougie. There are some people who, like, it's a good, like, it's a very classist thing to almost talk like that. It's like, you know, people also want large portions because, you know, they're on a very, like, small budget. They need to uh, think that way. It's a scarcity mindset. And, you know, I've been there, and my parents, like, you know, kind of raised me with that mindset. And I'm, <laughs> I probably, in all honesty, should think a little more on that practical term. But not today, at least not on this trip. This trip, I'm really right now trying to, you know, just experience. And I'm, I'm really, I'm paying for the experiences. I don't, you know, if I need to refuel and save money, like for example, driving down this road on my way to Springfield and then eventually to St. Louis, you know, I stopped at a, a gas station. I, I bought, got one of those um, gas station hot dogs and some donuts and a cappuccino. And, you know, I just like, you know, just dropped a couple dollars on some trash food from a gas station. And, you know, I'll probably end up with a sugar rush for the next 10 hours, but I regret nothing. You know, this is the kind of fun part of the road trip where, yes, you go to a major city and you try these decadent, amazing, like, foodie experiences. Mm, and then, like, you know, you're on the road again and you're just, like, eating trash food, which is in some ways its own kind of foodie experience. And, um, so yes, I, I, I've been loving the trip so far. I'm finally hitting my stride, I think, as far as, as feeling like enthusiastic and confident, you know, the moment I felt it was in Chicago. It was last night, actually. I think it was when, um, I don't know, like I was starting to get into the rhythm of the city and most people thought I was a local, which made me feel good, but I was like hanging out in sections like by myself, you know, that were off the tourist track. So that would make sense. They would assume that, but it still is like, I don't know. You feel a little Anthony Bourdain about it. It's like, yeah, that's right. You know, I just blend. I just, you know, I just blend where I go. And also to be fair, I don't think that a tourist has probably gone into J and M in some time. Like, um, they all just kind of assumed I was either moving there or I had lived there. And, you know, I very well may move there because that was, I did think about it as it was when I was, um, first it was when I was getting into the rhythm of the Metra. Like, it's funny because I wrote in my blog, mindfulinamerica.com for those that want to hear the blog or read the blog. So I wrote in my blog, um, how thrilling it was to go on the the metro, the CTA, and be like, oh, wow, you know, the, the clickety clackety clickety clack and the, the sound of the rails and the doors opening. It's so thrilling. Yeah, no. Um, fast forward to this podcast where I'm just like, I'm over it. Oh, my God. Like, it smells like piss and it's delayed again. Um, you know, and then I felt definitely like a local and I had like, you know, the rhythm down to the metro stations where I took out my metro card and I slapped it, you know, and then I like moved on through the turnstile. I don't know. I just felt like I'm in the rhythm and also I'm really like, 
hating on the Metro now, so I definitely feel like one of, like, one of us, one of us. Um, and it was also probably when I was in myopic, because myopic was such a cozy, you know, used bookstores in general make you feel good. And it was a very cozy one, and, you know, it had obviously been a staple of the neighborhood for a while. And it just had this, just, yeah, local neighborhood vibe to it. Again, not pretentious at all. There was a man in there. I didn't get his name. I wish I had. He worked there. He may have been the owner. I don't know. And he was walking around. You know, he had, like, kind of a pot belly and a big, bushy, white beard. And he was wearing um, kind of camouflage overalls. <laughs> and I... Um, I told him that he made me feel very comfortable and nostalgic because I was like, oh man, it's, it's like I went back to Tennessee. And uh, he said, oh yeah, this is my Duck Dynasty, you know, <laughs> kind of casualness. He, you know, he was still a Chicagoan through and through, but um, like, I just, I just thought it was really comical that I was shown around by a man who like really did have like a Tennessee thing going on. And um, we were our overalls, very much not ironically, and he, he was sporting it well. He, he felt very comfortable and fine in those camouflage overalls. But um, when I was there, it was like, I don't know, I just saw it. I just, it just briefly snapped into me, like the locked in, how, how people like lived there, how it was a neighborhood and, and, you know, people bringing their used books in and selling them and, you know, getting credit for the store and then going up the road to get some furniture or a new lamp or, you know, finding a t-shirt at the vintage place and just how they must exist. And, you know, like seeing this, this date that was happening at the Chinese food restaurant and just, you know, kind of how it all just looked. And I, I just saw it. And for a moment, I imagined myself embodying it. And, you know, it didn't feel bad. In, in, fa in fact, it felt very doable. You know, fine. <laughs> of course, I'd have to, like, do something there, which would be the, I think, the bitch figuring, like, what, what do I do there? Because, you know, right now, I probably could, like, if I wanted to just be a bartender in Chicago, I probably could just simply do that because um, there are no, you know, every, uh, no, nobody's working right now it's people are just trying so hard struggling so hard to get employees to come in and work and I was talking to like a bartender over at Uptown and he was complaining about that he's like I don't understand this place is like like a top dollar everybody wants to come here you make great cash and nobody wants to work and and you know that's happening in a lot of places and you know it's so who knows, maybe now is the time to jump on it. I could get a really cushy cake job being a, bar, a, a hipster bartender in Wicker Park, <laughs> which, uh, which I, you know, I, to quote from, to quote um, Frankenfurter, don't dream it, be it. So when I say these things, I actually am very serious. I could do that. Um, I probably should do something that's maybe a little less... Um, uh, worldly or, you know, I don't know. I probably should actually focus more on a, maybe something on the more corporate end of things, but who, who the hell knows? It's, it's just, I just, for a brief moment, really saw myself embodying all that bohemianness and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to go bartend and, <laughs> and live in Wicker Park and, and, uh, go to use bookstore and, you know, it is a lovely life, and the people there really are lovely, and, and I made so many friends while I was there. I mean, a ridiculous amount of friends, um, like, just, just, like, just by 
just talking and, and interacting and people are just so very friendly. And I was like, wow, it really wouldn't take very long for me to find, you know, just a social group or anything like that. So anyway, the point is, is it gave me a lot of confidence. For those who've never been to Chicago, get your butts to Chicago. It is a lovely, lovely, lovely city. Um, don't be afraid to get outside of the main drags. Um, I say that, of course, with caveats. Like, don't just go shooting down, like, you know one of the lines and just be like okay I'll just stop here because you don't know where you're you know Chicago does have some anybody that's watched Shameless you know you know you should probably be a little more thoughtful I am upset because it does have a beach and people actually talk about the, the Chicago beach not many people bring it up or I think outside of the locals um, but the beach I hear is quite lovely I didn't go and I'm really bummed I didn't go I talked to a nice woman and her boyfriend though who um went to Hollywood Beach and they just absolutely love it and they say that it's got a lot of just great sights. You can actually get in the water. I was like, what? Because I thought it would be too cold. And so they're like, no, you can get in the water. Um, so, yes, on top of all the... And, and there's a lot of green spaces too. Like, that also surprised me about Chicago. It doesn't take very long and to find a nice space, um, a nice natural, you know, spot where you can go be amongst nature, etc. Like, you don't, it's, it's not like, I hate to say it, um, New Orleans. I remember going to New Orleans and being like, this place is amazing. The people are great. The food, oh my God, the food and the music. If you just want to go to a place and, and just die in absolute bliss, listening to the most amazing music you can possibly find and eating the most amazing food you can possibly put in your mouth, um, just, just go to New Orleans. It is, to, I am convinced New Orleans is a magical place and I know that it's sinking into the water and that's unfortunate and yes, you know, the hurricanes and whatnot, but I don't care. It's, it's worth it. It's worth the danger because um, it is just a absolute thriving city. But uh, the big thing that just made New Orleans very unappealing to me was I couldn't find really many natural beauty spots. You know, uh, I remember going down a trail um, with my ex-abuser and um, there was like crocodiles and giant bugs the size of my hand. That's not an exaggeration. And a lot of swampland and prickly like um, plants that will stab you if you try to like, sidle up next to them. Like I could not find many places that were pretty that made me feel connected to nature. And you know, like I'm a mountain girl. I'm from Appalachia. You know, natural beauty surrounds me. So that was a hard one for me to kind of to face in New Orleans. I was like, everything's so great here. Why does it have to have this huge drawback for me at least? So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm actually going to be headed to New Orleans eventually to kind of give you an itinerary review. Um, after Chicago, I am driving now out to St. Louis, stopping briefly in Springfield where I'll probably grab maybe a bite to eat or something. And then I will be making it to Memphis and I'll pop over to Oxford, uh, Mississippi. I'm going to Oxford, Mississippi because um, I really like writing. And a lot of writers go to Oxford. Again, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Anthony Bourdain, if there's two spirit guides I've had on this trip, I'm going to go ahead and say Frida Kahlo and Anthony Bourdain. Call me basic, call me whatever you want. Those two people have always inspired me. 
um, because they did go off the beaten path. They did what they want. They did things on their own terms. And, um, you know, when I think of Anthony Bourdain, I was thinking about how he was a bit of a curmudgeon. He, he definitely had, had prickliness, you know, over-opinionated, right? All the things. You know, I'm over-opinionated, so I relate to that. And, um, you know, I just... I couldn't help but think of how, like, here, me soloing it on a trip and meeting people and everything and how that takes confidence and balls to do it and how I don't think I'm a particularly interesting, vivacious, or any of those things kind of person, but how, you know, sometimes it's not about that. There's never a perfect person who can do things perfectly. What it really takes to be a successful traveler, a successful, I think, person, a creative type at least, one that are, is not only successful monetarily, but successful in that they're doing things that make them feel good about themselves. Um, I think it takes just boldness, and it takes um, willingness to fail. And when I think of Anthony Bourdain and how he was obviously flawed, I mean, we all know how his life ended, and that was just so, so tragic. Um, I, I cried and um, I made a meal in his honor actually one of his favorite meals and I try to do that every year I actually did not do that this year with you saying that I completely forgot but um, yes I, I, I really did love him and he's inspired me to never forget that when you travel it's not about being the perfect person and it's not about having the perfect experience it's about being bold and it's about basically saying yes to things and doing things on your own terms. And, um, you know, and Frida Kahlo, of course, you know, I just have always been inspired by because she, well, I related to her trauma bond. And um, I do think that Diego was, an, Diego Rodriguez, what he did to her was, you know, they talk about love and everything and what the couple had. But I was like, he fucked her sister, man. <laughs> and like, you know, he was a really unfaithful, emotionally and physically abusive man. And I'm, I'm just like, when I think of how powerful and resilient and more talented she was compared to him, I'm just like, man, I, I just, you know, no, but you know, that's her own affair. That's her own relationship. And that wasn't necessarily what drew me to Frida. I, I just, it's, it was just her indomitable spirit and the way that she seemed to view life. And if there was ever, I think, a person who, who proved that you can immortalize yourself um, through the way you live and the art you create, it's her. I really think that she is immortalized. And I think that her soul has been, I, I don't know, I just, I, I love her. And I realize I'm not being the most articulate right now. But anyway, I'm going to go swoop down to Oxford. I'm eventually then going to make it to New Orleans. That's my, my plan after going to, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, and then downward. I know people often, like, cringe when they think of Mississippi for all the reasons. I mean, uh, Nina Simone sang it well when she said Mississippi, goddamn. Um, but we're going to swoop away from that. And I just want to say that, um, first off, it's more like Alabama, goddamn. <laughs> there was, like, a place that I've just been like, wow, this, oh, like, um, what is, uh, Birmingham. Gosh, Birmingham. Ugh. I try so, I tried so hard with that place. But um, Mississippi I've always actually found to be a very pleasant state and full of some really pleasant people and some really beautiful sights as well. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, because I've never been to Jackson, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. 
I'm looking forward to a lot of things. I, I decided to alter my trip, as you can tell, last podcast. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and where I'm going to go. Well, um, I decided rather than go down to the West Coast, which I had done before, um, and travel all the way to Seattle, which is, you know, 2,000 miles of driving, I decided to go ahead and swoop back into the South and go over to Florida and eventually make my way through there and, you know, like visit my mother and stuff like that. I think that there's still a lot to the South I have not yet explored. And if I do find myself leaving, I want to be able to say that I, you know, kind of saw everything that I needed to see in um, the South. And, you know, the South has such amazing um, sights. I just, I can't even begin to, um, to stop talking about how, how beautiful it is. Like, you know, going to Charleston or going to Savannah or just following the coastline for a while, you'll just see some of the most beautiful landscapes you'll ever know in your entire life. So it's going to be a good trip. I, I am like a little concerned about money. Like most people would be traveling, you know, it's very expensive doing what I'm doing. Um, so I, um, yeah, I'll probably have to come up with uh, some either some like really good economic ways to save money or I may like just just have to not <laughs> travel much longer that's the problem when you uh, aren't a millionaire you kind of have to think of those things in mind you know road trips um, can take a lot out of you it's why oftentimes I've, I've advised people you know to get an SUV so you can sleep in your car if you're going to do a road trip um, or to get a really nice tent and you know get used to camping and things like that because it is a good way to save money like you know um hotels you're not going to find a hotel typically cheaper than you know eighty dollars or seventy dollars and if you you know do that at, like let's say for a week well then you've pretty much just spent you know around seven hundred dollars just on you know having a place to rest your head you do that for multiple weeks and uh, you're, you're, you're burning through money really, 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 really quickly. Um, I've been on my trip now for quite a while and I'm kind of doing the calculations and the math and going, man, I've spent a lot of money. Um, but, you know, you don't want to get into a scarcity mindset. Like the whole point is, is you need to focus on the positives, what you're gaining, not necessarily what you're losing. Because what I'm gaining is completely priceless. And on top of that, I am, am, I'm, I think I'm actually improving my physicality. I think a lot of people, I would advise getting out of their houses simply because COVID did cause us to, a lot of us to gain weight, a lot of us to like have new aches and pains in our bodies from just not, you know, taking care of it. And I am trying, I've been like, you know, I have like lower back issues and things like that. So I've been trying every day to stretch and to really push my body to new limits so that I'm hoping I'll be in a much healthier place with more stamina because, you know, I was just thinking like, you know, just walking for miles upon miles through Chicago, say like just what I did yesterday, you know, it does build up stamina. It does help you kind of get into a progressive and confident mindset again. And I think that's very essential because again, what happened to all of us? during the pandemic, you know, it really, it really kicked a lot of our asses and caused a lot of depression. And so this is kind of my way of 
getting away from it and kind of restarting my my mind, my soul, my body, and reactivating it in a way that I'm hoping will now be mindful and a little more positive and really like bring about some happiness and some good results. Because, you know, whenever a great tragedy hits us, I believe that it can be presented as an opportunity because tragedy often mows things down and levels things. Um, when I think about how, like, for example, um, the tragedy of, of running away from an abusive relationship and then like, um, you know, you, you're going to lose relationships out in, in, in that circle. You have to, there's no choice. You know, anybody who goes through like a divorce or anybody who has a death of a loved one or something like that, you're going to lose friendships. It just seems to be the nature of life and not only friendships, but you're, there's just going to be things that will be shed. And sometimes people really get into a grieving process or they get really bummed out or they see it as like a horrific reflection on them. And maybe that was a, a reflection on them. Maybe they had some bad flaws, some, some reactive qualities that were not in keeping with their higher selves. And, but, you know, but really tragedy can yield an amazing opportunity for new growth and expansion and improvement. And, um, you know, I was sitting with a man at Wicker Park and he was in his fifties and I, he was kind of struggling a bit. You know, he, he was a strong, confident man, um, very funny. And I liked him a lot. I don't want you to think he was like sitting there and being like, Oh, my world is horrible. Like he wasn't not at all. I, you know, I just read a little between the lines and I think he felt safe to kind of admit a little bit where he was at because he lost his job 15 months ago. And, you know, when you're in your 50s and you lose your job and it was a job in marketing, you know, which is very hard to enter into field. And, you know, it, it's a field that often can really rely upon youth culture. And, you know, I say this as somebody who really does marketing. So <laughs> I really, I, I empathize a lot with him in this. And, you know, he, he was making such good money and now he's not, now he's unemployed. And, and I was like looking at him and he was like kind of talking about, you know, just his life and, and how he's back into applying for jobs and how hard that's been. And, you know, just, just, you know, the trudge, the misery of, of, of doing that. But I was, yeah, thinking about the very fact that, yes, yeah, sometimes when life is mowed down, you know, new opportunities present themselves. And, you know, we were talking about that, how it kind of put his butt into gear to pursue things that he always said he would pursue when he had the time, dot, 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 dot. So many people, I think, have said that. When I have the time, I'll write a novel. When I have a time, I'll, you know, do photography. And yet, they don't ever seem to have the time. They get caught up in kind of a drudgery job that doesn't fulfill them and sort of caught in a routine. And because they're so tired, they don't really, like, ever resist it or try to achieve anything else. It's like, we really do um, cut ourselves short. And we really do settle for so very little of what I believe we deserve. I don't think any human being was made to be, like, in a cubicle, um, working for a company that they is doing, like, really unethical things and feeling like that's your only option. And I feel like that's a lot of people, they feel that way. And, you know, people would say, well, that's just how the economy works, stupid. Like, people need jobs. What are you, you hippie, you liberal, you communists or whatever? And I'm like, I'm, I don't think it's a very radical notion 
for to want every individual on this earth to have dignity and to have income. And I, I think that almost every person I've ever met, and except for like, you know, there's always going to be an exception, but almost every person I've met, most humans, they want to work hard. They want to contribute to their communities. They want to take care of their neighbors, but they don't have the options for dignity. They don't have the options for good income. And it breaks my heart. And I know that I'm not the first person to come up with this like perspective of, man, we need to like do something about that. Because, you know, I'm not. But I do feel like what's happening right now after the pandemic and just in general with millennials and Gen Z and just these kind of generational movements is, is I do notice that people are starting to wake up a bit, that people are starting to kind of go, hey, I deserve more, especially because, you know, Americans, U.S. people, we are starting to look over at other countries. You know, I know that other countries roll their eyes and say, like, gosh, you Americans, you're so myopic. You just, like, really just focus in on yourselves all the time. And, like, to be fair, y'all, like, you know, there's a lot of blue space between us and you, and we're a big country. And, you know, it's just, like, it, it's just, it's, it's just, yeah, sorry we don't know what's going on in Switzerland. Um, it's not even, like, you could fitted into Georgia probably six times. We were kind of like, um, we're preoccupied by a lot of green space here. But with that said, we definitely should look at places like Switzerland, places like Sweden, places like France, places like England, and I'll, not just Europe. I feel like I just went really European there. Um, other, for, other, other countries like with democracies like, like Japan um, or uh, I don't know, Australia. Again, I can't, I need to be not so Eurocentric. Um, but Korea, there we go. Um, not, not really the relevant point here. I just, um, I just, I, I think that there are just so many great examples of, of countries doing good things where they take care of their citizens. Their citizens have maternity leave. Their citizens have health care. Their citizens have actual vacation times. Their citizens have pensions. They basically, they, there's safety nets there. And, and they're, they're, like, when I look around at the U.S. and how afraid we are and how much we're struggling, I mean, it is, it is a really scary point in our history. And I don't think that outsiders will get it, how ruggedly individualistic we are. I think that it is our greatest trait and also our biggest burden and negativism because we don't like handouts and we are very much like pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of people regardless of whether the person has bootstraps yes I know but um Americans are very prideful and like we you know we were defined as a nation by rebellion we rebelled against the countries we came from we like some of us like willingly some of us not obviously like you know we came we come over here as refugees a lot of us we came over here you know basically to um redefine ourselves to be like we are going to not no longer adhere to this national identity we are simply going to be us now and you know that spirit is amazing but it, it is it is problematic i think when it, 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 this, it has reached a point now where the wealth gap has gotten so bad here that we don't, and the American dream has kind of gotten some holes, some moth, like some moth-eaten holes in its kind of, um, in its flag, so to speak. 
we, we're going to have to come up with some really serious solutions, and most of us don't want to do those solutions through expansion of government, and I'm not even saying that, that that's like a bad reason. I think that there's plenty of good reasons to not want to do that, but um, I am very hopeful for the future in America. I know that it doesn't look that way right now with all the shootings and like, you know, this pandemic, but I do think that we are starting to hit a place where people are beginning to wake up and say, I want more than this. And I don't think it's selfish. I don't think that it's unreasonable. I don't think that it's entitled. Um, I think that it is completely within our rights. If we have people coming from our country who are, you know, billionaires pushing to the trillionaires, like which is just ridiculous and obscene, you know, there is no reason on earth that nobody should be starved, that people should be starving or that people shouldn't be able to have a livable wage when they're working super hard, especially when it's like a skill, like um, like this man in his 50s. Basically, they were saying to him, do this entry-level $15 an hour job, um, in, in, we're going to age you out, basically. You know, he was just very frustrated by um, what was being offered to him, because it wasn't much, because like with many companies, which you seem to inevitably see, it happened to me when I was out of college. It was really bad when I got out of college because it was a bad economy. You get part-time job and you get underpaid because you're youth. And youth, <clears throat> the youth culture was heavily exploited when I was um, like, you know, 23. They were just paying me pennies for so much work and with no real opportunity um, to advance and... It was deliberate because the economy was so bad and nobody wanted to share the wealth. And it, it continues to this day. And then they get upset at my generation for, you know, kind of having these liberal quote unquote ideas. And I'm like, dude, you, you know, you made this fire. You, you created this problem um, when you didn't give us dignity and wages and health care. And, you know, none of us had had health care, you know, because none of us were being hired on full time anywhere. It was a really scary time, and it continues to be a scary time, and you're still seeing these problems. But now with older people where they're being fired, and then young people are being hired to replace them for far less than what they deserve. But anyway, I don't know why I went to this rant. This seems like a really pointless, like, <laughs> sad rant with no solutions to it, except to say that I am excited to see how we are progressing. One of the things I'm looking forward to on this road trip is, is trying to find places where there is good income. There, there are good wages for employees. It's competitive and it's healthy. Um, I come from an area that's, um, what's a nice word for my area? There's just a lot of incompetence and corruption where I'm from and not very good wages. And I think like now, like my hometown is seeing a lot of expansion, a lot of people moving in. But, um, you know, there's just so many problems there. I'm really looking forward to finding a spot that is open and has like like people who have their shit together, um, who offer competitive and good pay. And I do think that's possible. And I do believe in that version of America. I just think it's sometimes you have to go on a road trip and find it because um, not all cities are created equal and not all states have positive circumstances to them something else Europeans probably should pay attention to when they criticize us because uh, we aren't just Texas y'all <laughs> we are 50 unique states
states. And uh, Montana, quite different from Illinois, which is quite different from Vermont, which is completely different from Louisiana. And um, you can't really judge one state by another state because they all have such very bizarre and strange laws and opportunities to them. Anyway, um, I am on my road trip. I am going to continue down the road now and get ready to see uh, Springfield, Missouri. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day and I look forward to talking to you again about being mindful in America.